This is Donald P. Belisario, and you are listening to the Quantum Leap Podcast. Theorizing that one could time travel within his own lifetime, Dr. Sam Beckett stepped into the Quantum Leap Accelerator and vanished. He awoke to find himself trapped in the past, facing mirror images that were not his own and driven by an unknown force to change history for the better. His only guide on this journey is Al, an observer from his own time, who appears in the form of a hologram that only Sam can see and hear. And so Dr. Beckett finds himself leaping from life to life, striving to put right what once went wrong, and hoping each time that his next leap will be the leap home. You are listening to the Quantum Leap Podcast. This is episode 83, Trilogy, Part 3, The Last Door. Baton Rouge Gazette, July 28, 1978, Louisiana. It wasn't over. My memory was fading, but in my soul I knew it wasn't over. I was still in the South, and somehow Abigail had summoned me back. But for what? And this who? Bo, the child has legal rights. Wait a second, wait a second. Larry Stanton? Hello, sweet James. Come on over here, you hot-blooded Southern rebel, and melt me down. Tonight, Lawrence Stanton III, I am Jane Fonda in Butterfield 8. Oh boy. Why am I here? That is it. You have gone and done it. You have ruined everything. I am no longer in the mood. So you can hang up your holsters until next Saturday night. Oh boy. Sam, you're not going to believe this yo-yo in the waiting room. Larry Stanton. Uh, there's a 41, 41... Point one point two forty three point chance you're here. No, no, no. Uh, if you think I'm here to save their marriage, Al, you can forget about that. Well, no, actually, uh, Ziggy hasn't the slightest idea why you're here, so I'd suggest you go open the door and see what drifts in. It's Marie. It's Marie from Pottersville. Marie. Your brain is Swiss Marie cheese, Sam. Pottersville. Marie Billings. And this is the woman that used to work for Clayton Fuller. Abigail. Abigail. Yeah. Is Abigail all right? They found those bones. They're accusing Abigail of murder. What happened over 25 years ago? And the trial starts tomorrow. Violet Ada's bones were discovered sealed in the town well. The lawyer told Miss Lita that he couldn't try Abigail for Violet's murder. Miss Lita was found with her throat cut open on Abigail's kitchen floor. Abigail is executed for the murder of Lita Ader. Little Violet Ader had waited 25 years for someone to find her. And finally they had. Lita had come after Abigail with a vengeance, desperately trying to mount a case that would send her to the electric chair. But now Lita was dead. And I knew that fate had brought me back into Abigail's life to prove her innocence. Are you gonna save my mommy? Abigail? Abigail's my mother. 
Your mother. What's your name? Sam. Larry Stanton. What's yours? Sam or Joe. Samantha Josephine Fuller. I'm very, very glad you're here, Mr. Sam Larry Stanton. Uh, Sam, Ziggy says you're not here just to save Abigail. You're here to save Sammy Joe. There's a 91.9% chance that Sammy Joe Fuller is your daughter. I have a daughter, Al. everyone, I'm Christopher DeFilippis. I'm Alison Pregler. And I'm Matt Dale. And welcome to the Quantum Leap Podcast. Today, we venture forth into the third and final episode of Trilogy. It's been a long Trilogy road. part three? Getting from Getting there from to here. Getting from there to here. <laughs> but Trilogy is finally in our rear view mirror. Yay. You know what? We got, you know what? We were like a minute into this pod. We still got, we are getting deep into trilogy. We are two thirds of the way through trilogy. Guys, guys, I can't take it anymore. Because we got trilogy (laughs) on the podcast. We're going to be talking about trilogy on the podcast. (laughs) It's Abigail's story. It makes no freaking sense. Like... (laughs) Guys, uh, where do we begin? Um, So, Trilogy Part 3. Allison, want to give me your initial impressions of Trilogy Part 3? I'm actually, I'm having a lot of fun dunking on this with you guys. I I don't really hate it as as much as it seems, but it is the, it's the worst part of Trilogy. Um, It's not, a lot of it has to do with courtroom drama, um, there's the whole thing with Sammy Joe, which we will get into. Um, it's just, um, it's just a little bit hard to get into. Not, not one of my favorites, but I don't hate it. All right. How about you, Matt? I'm just looking at the notes that I made when I was watching this in, in prep for this recording. And my first note sums it up, which is so much beige. <laughs> it, oh my God. Yes. <laughs> I mean, Quantum Leap, when it goes into the South, especially when it goes into the South and does courtroom stuff, it does love its beige. But this this really, this is a very beige episode in so many ways. It was reminding me of um, So Help Me God, because that was also a Southern courtroom drama where he's sweaty and in a beige suit. Yes. <laughs> Except in that one, they knew they were going to submit that for an Emmy. So um, so they made an effort. When you look at the HD transfer, that's not all yellow like the, the DVDs. It actually has a lot of really gorgeous shots and cinematography that, that really elevates it above that. And um, Trilogy Part 3 does not have that. I'm I'm not generally speaking, with a few exceptions, I'm not generally a fan of courtroom dramas. Um yeah. I particularly don't think Quantum Leap does it well, and I don't like it when Quantum Leap does its deep south episodes. So this ticks <laughs> so many boxes for me. Um yeah. Yeah. What about you, Chris? I I have to say that of the 3, this one annoyed me the least. Um, <laughs> oh. Yeah, believe it or not. Uh, I just, we didn't have the screaming melodrama of Trilogy Part 2, which was a welcome relief. I was rolling my eyes a lot less in this one. And 
I just, I'm, I'm not a fan of Trilogy Part 1. I guess maybe it's because I don't like the character of Lita Ader and she annoys me throughout it. And that's how good the actress is because she's the only thing in mm. the episode that I actually respond to on some kind of gut level. But um, not having her in this one was was kind of a relief. And I, 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 I know, Allison, that we are having fun dunking on it. You know, though, I always try to come to this with at least something positive to say. Mm-hmm. It's going to be difficult for me this time. So um, I say dunk away, dunk a ruse. It's, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I think yeah. there are parts of this that I that I enjoy and that I like. You know, I think there's some, uh, like the other ones, there's some merits to it. I just think this one is like the weakest of the three for me. All right. And um, I guess if we had a rank them, I'd say this is the most palatable for me. Matt, I know that you called it beige in every way. I'm guessing that you're thinking more along Allison's lines. You know what? Actually, I agree with both of you. I was surprised to find... You know, I, I've been going through this this rewatch, really trying to judge each part of Trilogy on its own merits. And I found Trilogy 3 more watchable this time than normal. I still think it's quite a, a beige, bland episode. But I did find it, yeah, quite enjoyable in places. I'm not sure what the merits are. I just didn't want to pick up my TV and throw it through the window. So that, that was a win. So I'm really interested to hear what Alison has to say about it that's positive, And that might justify why I thought it was, yeah, okay. Well, I mean, we can start right with the leap in. I know that Deborah was the writer on this, but that had all the earmarks of Tommy punching up that scene. <laughs> that was a complete Tommy scene yeah. with the wife and the sex. It felt weird and not like a great intro, con- considering all of the things that led up to it, and then to just be like, oh, he's got like a wife coming on to him that I'm I'm assuming a lot of the joke is like she's heavier and not that attractive, yeah. you know, traditionally attractive, and then like, oh, boom, oh boy, like, yeah. I don't oh, know. Oh dear, fat chick coming on to him, <laughs> that's yeah. funny, and then that that's dropped after two minutes, like they realized that was a bad idea. She just vanishes. Yeah, like, later on, it's like, when she's racist, it feels like there's more of a reason to hate her, but otherwise, it's like, this is just because she's, like, just not traditionally attractive to him. That's the joke. Yeah. Yeah, and they're just shaming her throughout the entire thing, and then they make her a racist on top of it, which was, you know, it was odd to get um, the N-bomb dropped so casually. Mm. We don't have to work with this kind of trash anymore. That was another thing that reminded me of So Help Me God. The fact he has like a racist wife thrown around the N-word. Like there are a lot of similarities. And I think that that one was a stronger episode. And it's not even like, like, I'm going to say, like, I agree with Matt on the point that like, um, courtroom dramas are not that exciting like to me if i'm watching a show and they get to a trial episode it's usually like (laughs) my least favorite episode i hate trial episodes but quantum leap is really good at taking genres or staples or stock plots that i don't like and coming up with new twists on them but i don't know if this one uh, really elevated it that much. The stuff around the courtroom I found more interesting, but there is huge sections of this um, that are just walking around in beige suits, talking about uh, courtroom stuff. Being sweaty. Um, it feels kind of half-heartedly like they're trying to make it a little more exciting with the stuff about Sam's heart, but that 
also it just feels like it doesn't really go anywhere with it like i would have been interested to see more about like this physical connection mm-hmm. with his heart and yeah. stuff like that but it just seems sort of glossed over like they're not even that interested in it yeah i mean i wrote um why is sam having heart issues and this is obviously to me more of a mind leap than a body leap if we go with the uh the new theory that i've embraced that it's variable from leap to leap so I think that just the the mental physical connection was just because plot. I mean, it's just as simple yeah. as that. Yeah, but it not even plot though. Really, this it feels grafted on to me. It doesn't. It's like they got to the end of a draft and went, "Oh, there's there's not enough there's not enough tension here. Let's add a heart condition in. That'll that'll juice it up a bit." Sam, are you okay? I will do my best to present the facts, and it will be up to you. To determine Sam the truth. Thank you. Are you alright? Sam, I don't like the way you look here. Are you alright? What's going on? I had found Stanton's nitro pills in his briefcase and taken them. They had made the pain in my chest subside enough to make it through the first day of witnesses. Yeah, I think they just tacked it on to feel like there's more at stake for Sam personally. Um, and they had other personal stakes in here that worked perfectly fine. And I was going to say, like, because, oh, the last one, they had some, like, leftovers from the Leapy. Maybe they were doing that. But the first one didn't have any of that either. So I don't – it just felt like – I know there was a cut line, too, that kind of explains, like, they were, like, the more – mentally he has to depend on the person the more physically mm. he's bonded to them or something it doesn't make a lot of sense really hmm that's weird if there had been more of a reason for it in the plot i wouldn't have thought too much about the mechanics of it but it just kind of feels like why is this happening well that's an interesting throwaway line because sam's swiss cheesing sort of comes back in full force in the beginning of this and then within you know 10 or 15 minutes into the into the plot he says something like i remember everything with crystal clarity or or something along those lines and it would be an interesting twist to see if maybe he's accessing more of larry's memories but that kind of breaks the rules of the show because it said right in the Bible, if he leaps into a jeweler, he doesn't know how to be a jewelry maker or whatever, mm-hmm. you know. But he also, like, when he leaps in, he says, my memory was fading, but I knew it wasn't over. As if he remembered more and then as the leap went on, it was going away, which seems like a weird way for his Swiss cheesing to work. Yeah, that's not something that they've touched on before. He He seems to take what memories he needs from one leap to the next. But this whole idea, like he's woken from a dream, like how you you remember things vividly for the first minute or so, and then it starts to disappear. That's new and I don't think ever referred to again. Yeah, that doesn't seem to be how it works. No. And also he, um, when he first sees Al, he asks him if he remembers Larry Stanton. And I don't know if that's because Sam's memory is failing or if because time has passed not chronologically for Al. Maybe there were some other leaps and this is just presenting this straightforward to us when there's been other things. I I don't know. It's all kind of weird. Maybe it's because 
Larry was just a bit player that's, uh, that Sam even remembers him because he was in Trilogy Part 1 for all of four seconds. Well, he did save them from a lynching at the end. He was kind of important in the second part. <laughs> oh, that's that's right. He was in Trilogy 2. That's how much I forgot about Trilogy Part 2. That's right. He was in Trilogy 2, wasn't he? Yeah, he, did. he was important in Trilogy. They just set him up in one so that you knew... You know, that he had some stakes in the second one, but... Gotcha. I forgot. I completely forgot that he saved Abigail's life. <laughs> well, uh, poor Larry Stanton. <laughs> but since we're talking about the memory aspect of this, it, there was one line that just struck me really weird. Sam said something to the effect of, it was 20 years ago, but I remember it like it was yesterday. And I'm like, duh, for you, it was yesterday. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, if it was yeah. if it was supposed to be funny, then that would be kind of a clever line, but it's not. Nothing in this episode's really supposed to be funny. Except the fat jokes, I guess. Yeah, I guess. <laughs> That's what also makes the intro so weird, because it makes it seem like it's gonna be a comedy episode, and it's absolutely not. Yeah. Right. And you know, I thought that that weak leapin was actually somewhat of a strength of the episode, and I'm I'm gonna say that because one of Quantum Leap's signatures is the gimmick leap in. Oh, he's getting punched in the face. Oh, he's skydiving. Oh, he's on a trapeze. I think that most leap ins would be kind of like this awkward leap in that he has in this where nothing much is going on. He's just a dude sitting in his house and he's got to sort of awkwardly interact with the people around him who are perfect strangers. And I know that doesn't make good TV, so that's why you get the action leap-ins. But I think that if you really were leaping, this is more what it would be like on a leap-to-leap -leap basis. Yeah, I don't know how you would punch this one up. Like, maybe, like, you know, he leaps in, there's a knock on the door, and then they announce that Lita Ader is dead or something yeah. like that as kind of like a hook. Um, there's a reason that they punch up the, the leap-ins to be exciting and gimmicky and weird. It's because when you go in, like, this it's like all right like what does that tell you about the next episode the only reason it works for this one or like isn't it it doesn't come off as bad is because this is part of trilogy so we're already like familiar with this character but it doesn't really tell us much about what we're in for right it takes the pressure off of getting that hook into the viewer because matt didn't you say didn't these did these air a week apart originally or were they on on the same night did they run it as a special yeah, so originally two and three were a, a single two-hour movie, so it does make the pacing kind of unusual mm. in that, yeah, parts two and three both generally quite sombre episodes and quite heavy on the drama, and then, yeah, for two minutes in the middle there's this, uh, yeah, hilarious fat chick sequence uh, that just doesn't, it, it seems even more crowbarred in. Maybe that's why it, it makes a little more sense knowing that this was all one singular part. They didn't need yeah. that hook. Exactly, exactly. But they had to have known that this was going to get repeated in two parts. You know, it's, it's in syndication. There was no way that was going to run as a as a double lengther. So there must have been so many people, and certainly in the UK, this was the case for me, whose first time seeing it they'd have seen part two ending with this comedy sequence thinking, okay, what's, I guess part three is going to be the fun one. All right. Okay. And then it was not the fun one. Yeah. <laughs> no. You know what I think? I want to get into this, the whole, um, the two part uh, airing as one part, because I've watched the, the edit that you put together, Matt, from the original airing, adding in some of the extra stuff. This one is the one that has the most substantial mm. stuff added to it. There's a lot of stuff. Yeah, I want to say the thing I think was uh, the biggest loss from that cut is um, 
Al calls the racist wife <laughs> Ice Ass. Yes. At one I knew point. You were going to say that. What does he call her? He calls her Ice Ass. Larry <laughs> never took Abigail's case. But if you would just hear me out. And I'll give you two to one. It's because Miss Ice Ass there was the reason. And I, I feel like that was a real loss that that was cut out of the two part version. Yeah. There's just a couple of lines cut in that scene. It's really random that they lost that. And such a shame. It's a nice moment. <laughs> so weird. But Matt, you want to talk about some of the like more substantial things that they changed? Yeah. I mean, I think two of the most important bits for me, one of them explains something that for 20 years bugged me seeing the the repeat version of part three it made no sense to me it seems like laura fuller has been clutching that is it, is it a locket or whatever um mm. she she's yeah. just been she, she's just lying there hospitalized clutching that locket and waiting for sam to come along so she could show it off and in the original aired version you see she she gets up has a walk around gets it out of a little lockbox or something and then shows it to him they had to cut it because it's like it's like a minute, a minute and a half worth of dialogue that doesn't otherwise go anywhere. But the edit that they make really does make it look like, oh, so you've just been lying there for 20 years holding on to this thing. <laughs> that was one of my biggest questions. <laughs> she's, you know, she's had some issues to work out. Yeah. <laughs> I kind of thought of it as like, you know, just occasionally she's got it with. I never really thought about it. Like for 20 years, she just always had it in her hand. But... Yeah, it is kind of interesting seeing that that's how the scene actually played out. Yeah, but that, that's certainly how it always played to me, that the implication was that she'd just been holding it the whole time. She kept it in her little bonnet. And um, the whole climax in the courtroom gets quite a, a big extension talking about Clayton covering up the, the death. And I can't actually remember how much of that makes it into the final episode, but there's there's a whole... A whole bunch of the flashback that's extended out, and you you certainly you get to see Clayton doing this cover up. Wait, see, uh, okay, this is all news to me. What Clayton Fuller? Yes, that was the dad that he leaped into in part one. Yes, and Clayton actually knew that the little girl was down in the well and covered it up. Yes, I'm right in thinking that on Ellison, like you, I haven't watched this for a few days now. <laughs> oh man, yeah, this is not in the final episode, but I believe in that edit they talk. And you're actually refreshing my memory on this because I haven't watched your edit of it in a while. Um, but yeah, he did. It changes a lot about Clayton Fuller knowing that like he knew about this and he covered it up to protect his wife, even though like she wasn't directly responsible for her death. Like he covered this up. I was trying to talk to her. She was in a rage and she tore herself from my hands. She fell away from me and she fell through the old planks that covered the well. I reached out for her, but I only caught the little gold locket that was around her neck. It broke, the chain snapped. Violet was gone. Yeah, she says that it broke, the chain snapped, Violet was gone, gone. And then the cut bit uh, in the, the repeat version is Sam then carries on saying, Laura then went to the only person she could trust, her husband, and told him what had happened. That night in the dark in the rain, Clayton Fuller decided to keep Laura's secret, and without looking back, he sealed Violet into the well. And we see all this happening in black and white. Hmm. That puts an entirely different spin on the end of this because that means that 
they were in some way complicit. Certainly complicit in a cover-up. It doesn't make them any more guilty as far as Violet's death, but it definitely changes a lot about how you view the characters, yeah. or at least how you view Clayton Fuller. They let Lita Ader suffer her entire freaking life. Hmm. When they knew the truth, they knew where the girl was, they could have at least given her some measure of peace. And they didn't. That is just shitty. Yeah. And that's that's my but my main... It's not my main, but one of the most... I, I don't know. Maybe it's it's just this whole thing, like how much grief is caused by this shitty dime store locket. Like, I, it's just a weak thread connecting all of this big stuff. And it just became a ludicrous thing to me that that is the MacGuffin for this entire trilogy. I mean, obviously it wasn't really about the locket, though. I mean, the locket was just a catalyst snowballing into all of these larger events. And um, it ties into, you know, stigma for the mentally ill as well and uh, and grief and bitterness and needing someone to blame and, and this this monster growing out of this belief. It had to be them. It has to be someone's fault. I think I just got sick of hearing of it. Uh, here we go again with the locket. All right. <laughs> you know, it's like, <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I, I, everything you're saying is absolutely 100% right, Alice. And I just, I, I just think that maybe if there had been a bigger stake somewhere and just that whole, wow, you guys just blew my mind. I wish I had watched your edit, Matt. Yeah. I honestly did not remember that until you just mentioned it. <laughs> yeah, I, that, that's that's the the biggest change, and it's yeah, it's um what thirty seconds something like that. But it yeah, I, I'm I'm glad to have heard Chris's reaction to that because I think when I first saw this, probably six months or so back, that was my reaction too. Wow, this this does actually change quite a lot of how I view trilogy part one. Like, because I remembered um. A huge chunk of the courtroom stuff being what was cut. Like, there was, like, a, a big section of, like, Sam talking to the jury. And, like, it was just so boring, though. Like, it was like, <laughs> yes. I'm glad this was cut, because it's just him like, ah, ladies and gentlemen, I do declare. <laughs> the jury must judge this fairly. <laughs> Halfway through the episode... We see the prosecutor, the, the name escapes me, but the, the prosecutor um, does his, uh, his, his opening address and it's two minutes, 53 seconds of him doing what, what prosecutors always do at the start. saying, like, oh, yeah, I'm going to show that this person did this and this is how I'm going to do it. For nearly three minutes. No wonder they cut it. Yeah, not missed at all. No, I was, like, I was watching this. I was like, "Well, I'm glad this is gone." Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but they should have kept the stuff with Clayton Fuller. They yes. should have because that's yeah. actually very plot important. They, yeah, there's other things that they could have cut easily instead of that. Oh, so much they could have cut. And how much are you talking about? Another thirty seconds worth of footage, maybe. I mean, did we have to watch um, Abigail beat up? What was the? I'm sorry, what was the, the the dead girl? Violet. Violet. Mm. So we needed to see that again. Why keep that in? And it also, you know, the fact that this thing aired back to back on um, one night also explains to me, unless this was cut, Matt, you can tell me, why Al seemed to be completely at ease with the fact that Sam was back again 
in this this Abigail mess. And I guess it's because just the narrative needed to move along. Yeah. Him coming in saying, you're never going to guess where you are. And how can this be? This is the third time you've been with this. And this is the first for us. Because I know he did sort of say something like that with Jimmy. He said, this is the first time you've leapt into the same person twice in all of our years of leaping. I wonder, you know, why didn't he make any lip service to this is the third time that you've been... Now, at this point, Al's just like us. He's like, "Well, this this is trilogy, so this is the third leap. So <laughs> after this one, he'll he'll be out somewhere else. It's fine. He, yeah. No, no mention, <laughs> no mention at all. Just okay, trilogy, fine. Three leaps. He was too busy thinking of that ice ass zinger. <laughs> ice ass, damn ice ass. Ice ass. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just looking through the cut bits again. Actually, there's another bit, um, going back to what we were talking about earlier about his memory fading, but there's another cut line where he's uh, he's doing his, his voiceover monologuing stuff, and he says, Al was right, I was still in love with Abigail, and as each memory of her found its way back into my mind, it brought with it a history of death, from Lita to Bart and finally to Violet. So it's like he's also remembering more as the leap goes on. It's very strange. Does this come from the fact just that he's there and it's refreshing his memory? Because it feels like with normal Swiss cheesing, like, if Al tells him something, he'll remember it. Yeah. And it might be that because that's um, that voiceover comes just as he arrives back in Baton Rouge. So, But I feel like he does say at some point, like, Al was right. I was still in love with Abigail. Yeah. That was another weird thing of uh, just a moment I saw your eyes. <laughs> Strange. I was just for a moment you in your eyes. <laughs> yeah, and then that's when they get into the whole like Will Kinman left her and uh, it just wasn't the same and all that. And I, it's the same issues uh, I've brought up before involving the the Abigail Sam love story yeah i mean and then he had further declaration of horny but this one was just voiceover <laughs> i wanted to hold her tell her you're not crazy you didn't kill anyone but i wanted more with abigail i always wanted more there's just no meat to that love story to me and they showed the previous uh clips you know previously on quantum leap and they ended it with, it's just you and me. In this moment, we have each other. And I was just, oh, God. Yeah. It's, it's just, they're really trying to sell this star-crossed nonsense. And once again, I'm not buying it at all. Imagine watching that on its first broadcast. And that, that sequence happened like three minutes ago. And, and we're watching that again. Like, stop bashing <laughs> us over the head with this. We didn't buy it three minutes ago. We're not buying it now. <laughs> I really enjoyed Melora Hardin's performance. I'm not really a big fan of the, the love story, but um, Melora Hardin, I thought, did a great job. And I think she made some, like, really good choices um, for, like, stage business and stuff that she was doing while she was, like, retelling this story about what happened with Violet. And she's, like, twisting the blinds or something and playing with them and, like, doing some, like, interesting stuff that I think makes it a little more interesting because it's just her and Sam in a beige room talking about things that we have heard before. This is the frustrating thing about Trilogy as a whole. We, we've touched on this a couple of times already. The level of talent in these three episodes is so high and you can tell that 
everyone knows this is something special. This is a three-part quantum leap. We've never done anything like this before. Let's pull out all the stops to make it look and sound great. The performances are on point. It's it's fantastic. It's just built on a weak storyline. And that's so frustrating when you see yeah, stars like Melora Hardin doing such a fantastic job. That was a good part of the episode, Alison, and it surprised me without the hysterics and the the melodrama of how much I actually liked Abigail in this episode. And that's all down to her performance and those choices. She just, there was so much more naturalness and a lot of just like a comfort level, I guess, she had with, with the material that I don't think was there in the second one. And maybe because it was all melodrama and action in the second one. You really feel for her because, like, she even says, like, she's, like, doubting her own memory because everyone seems so sure that she's this killer. I remember that day Violet disappeared so clear. And yet sometimes I feel, well, everyone else was so sure. Maybe I remembered what I wanted. Maybe. You know, I I tell you, that to me was the most intriguing line because I thought that we were going to get a reveal. I thought that she was finally going to say, you know what? Yeah, I did it. Screw that little kid and that damn locket. Oh, man, what a what a huge tragedy this would be if that was the truth. If like she really had done it and Sam believed in her so much and he loved her so much and she'd done it the whole time. That would take such a dark spin. But it'd be an interesting what if. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I keep looking for the dark side of things. I wanted the LaMotta family to be destroyed at the end of Deliver Us from Evil. I wanted Abigail to be guilty at the end of Trilogy. I just <laughs> <laughs> But if she if she had done it, would that undo some of the story elements in that like part of it is demonizing the mentally ill and saying like, oh, she must have it and oh, they must just be violent and, and evil because they're crazy. No, you're right. It would kind of throw the, I guess, some whatever message we can glean out of this. It would just throw that to the wind. It would just throw it under the bus. So I can see why they didn't do it. And you want Abigail to be the hero along with Sam. And you don't want the mother of Sam's child to actually be a freaking murderer. I mean, that's a big consideration that we haven't even touched on yet. I mean, Sam's child. Yes, I said it. Um, What do you guys think of the addition of Sammy Joe to the lore? okay so (laughs) all right i i will start by saying i think that was allison (laughs) i want to like it and i think in itself it's quite a quite a positive move i like the moment at the end of the episode it's all good i think personally it's been spoiled by 20-odd years since of Deborah Pratt and a lot of fans saying, ah, well, of course, if the show were to come back, it would have to be about Sammy Joe. Sammy Joe, it's all about Sammy Joe. Here's this exciting character, Sammy Joe. Like, we, we saw her as a little kid in one episode. Stop trying to build an entire spin-off show around her. We don't know anything about her. Um, she had a, a good moment in one of the books, um, but I, I think for the last two decades, she's just been built up and up so much. Um, we end up taking an unfair view of the of her addition because it feels forced in retrospectively. Well, and and Deborah Pratt even adm- admitted that that was the goal when she added that character. She was thinking about spinoffs and continuations and stuff like that. That was the entire reason for this character coming to be. 
And I think if that had happened at the time, it would have been more subtly handled. Maybe she she might have appeared as a as a grown up a couple of times in season six and been introduced a little bit more, and then given a, a pilot episode where we explore her character a bit more and, and into a spin off. But it just seems like the series ended, and then a few years later, everyone latches onto this idea that this little kid that was in about ten minutes of material in one episode there's enough there to create a spin-off and it just it all feels a little bit obvious the thing the thing is about sammy joe as a character first of all i think it's icky to give sam a kid this way i think it's really violating and i don't think they should have done it this way secondly we do not know who the hell sammy joe is we don't we we know her as a child we know that she has inherited her dad's smarts in a very fanficy way that doesn't really make a lot of sense. Um, we know that she's a precocious kid, but we don't know what she's like as an adult. And I had similar problems with Donna as a character. She wasn't a super young kid, but the only time that we saw Donna before Leap Back, um, she was like a young woman in college. We didn't really get a lot of sense of who she was. Leap Back didn't really give us a lot about who she was. Um, and I think this is a problem with Quantum Leap and their recurring female characters in general. I think they do them dirty. And um, Sammy Joe, we don't we don't get anything. There was a, a book uh, all about her in the novel series uh, Loch Ness Leap, mm-hmm. and that one centered a lot on an alternate timeline. The alternate timeline they mentioned in this episode, actually, where she's like programming computer uh, manuals and stuff like that. But the thing is, we don't know who she is. So this alternate timeline doesn't tell you, like, I'm like, I don't know. Is this different for Sammy Joe? I don't know what her personality is like. Um, you, it's just, you don't have enough about anything other than she's, like, smart and she likes Brigadoon. Like, there's just nothing to this character that I can find to latch onto. And, and, and I don't, I don't find stories that are like the child of the main character. Now you, they will take up the mantle. I don't find those interesting at all. I don't think it's ever well done. It always comes <laughs> off like super special wonder kid. Um, it's just annoying. <laughs> well, I, I can say, I mean, having written Sammy Joe and she was a major character. In foreknowledge, one of the blessings of the character was that there was so little that you knew about her. So she was a blank canvas. You you called her Sammy Joe, but you could make her whatever you needed for the story. And as long as you stuck with the broad parameters of her history as laid out in, you know, this 20 minutes or whatever it is that we actually get to hear about her, um, you can do almost anything with her. So I can understand why Deborah built this in, you know, to be fleshed out later. Because it is an intriguing addition to the lore, in my opinion, and they could have done some interesting stuff with it. I tried to do some interesting stuff with it because now she's there. She's in the project. She's Sam's kid. Whether or not you agree with the way that they arrived at it or like the method that um, she she sort of just popped up into their existence, which I have another issue about in this episode, but we'll get to that in a second. She's there. And you, as a writer... Um, you have to sort of contend with her if you're going to be doing any further Quantum Leap stories. Sure. Well, I mean, I've read all of the the novels and I've read a lot of fanfic and Sammy Joe is often included. Um, and I feel like everyone has to do their own interpretation and they do the same thing with Beaks as well because you don't really have any anything, any groundwork to really determine like how to write this character. And that can be very interesting. 
Um, I just don't think like as like a focal character, I, I don't find her very interesting. Because again, like you don't have anything to build off. You have her family history. I think that's kind of interesting that like she has this dark past and stuff like that. But um, you don't really, there's not really a lot to work with. So I just can't get terribly invested like, I don't think that a character should be... This is something that annoys me with shows that, like, add kids to them. I don't think they should be important just by the merit of being the child of a main character. Right. Like, I think you have to earn, like, why we care about them. So many shows add them, and then it's like everything is about them, but they don't do anything to to reel you in. You just have to be like, they are important because they are a child and I just like I I I'm begging for an interesting character. Well, refresh my memory at the end of the episode because when reality shifted and Sammy Joe was no longer a computer programmer working in Mobile or whatever it was, and Al reveals that she's on the project and she's working on formulas to bring you home. Did he ever like step out of the scene to presumably go back to an altered project? He was just so not another. He was just so nonplussed. Yeah. After he told Sam that he has a daughter, I think he must have gone back at some point because other scenes happen. But the thing is, her history wasn't changed until the revelation. Exactly. Yeah, you're right. Um, Abigail gets married in two years to a wonderful guy and they move to Chicago and she's happy, Sam. She's really happy. How do you know all this? Sammy Joe told me. Sammy Joe? Sammy Joe is working with us on Project Quantum Leap, Sam. What? Yes, as a matter of fact, she has a theory on how to bring you back home. So, and Al was there the entire time. This might be good time travel storytelling because all of a sudden to him, this has been his reality. But Al has always known the changes. He's the only one seemingly at the project who realizes when things shift around him. So there's a, a couple of the novels that cover this, right? That that mention that Al kind of remembers both versions of history, and yeah, I played with it a little bit. Yeah, they talk about him like I don't remember what novel it was, but they talk about him like stepping out of the imaging chamber, and all of a sudden Donna's there, and his adjustment yeah. to that. I find that all very fascinating. That was mine. <laughs> Okay. Oh, was it yours? Yeah. yeah. Oh my God, Chris, you did such a great job with that scene. <laughs> I loved when you talked about that. <laughs> it's one of the very last scenes. I remember loving that as well. I did not remember that was Chris's, but yeah. Chris, you done good. <laughs> oh, okay. I mean, it's just an example, though, of, you know, reality shifting, ever shifting yeah. back at the project. Yeah. And my book, we'll get to my book at some point, but, um, you know, that was one of the chief things that I wanted to play with and when I wrote it, so. Yeah. yeah, you know, speaking of Donna at the project, does she know that this is Sam's kid? Is she working with the child that Sam had with another woman? I don't think so, because Sam asks Al pointedly, does she know she's my daughter? And he says, no, and after this, you won't either. Well, she doesn't know, but does Donna know? How would Donna know? Well, does Donna know about the leaps that he's on? Does she know about what's going? She she seems to have a fairly important role in the project, but they don't. I don't think they really define exactly what she does. That's an interesting question. Al might be glossing over stuff like, <clears throat> yeah, Sam's got this special friend called Abigail. That <clears throat> yeah, there's there's nothing. But going then on that's shitty if she doesn't know too. 
it's shitty either way, right? Like, and that's not, be, it's not like Sam's fault or anything. It's just like, I feel like they don't take into consideration Sammy Joe or Donna as characters. They're just means to an end. I don't think they, they think through any of these implications. Again, though, I, I'm sure that's covered in one of the novels. Uh, apologies if this foreknowledge again, but I'm sure. No, I don't think it is. I don't think I played with that at all. There is definitely something about the Donna Sammy Joe relationship. Yeah, was that in Obsessions? Ah, I think so. A lot of that one was about the people that were left behind at the project, and that was one of my favorite novels because they got into a lot of that stuff, stuff that the show couldn't get into or just didn't think about. Obsessions sounds right. It's Carol Davis, right? The author? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. She wrote Mirror's Edge, too, and she did a lot of stuff with the people back at the project. That seemed to be her main focus, um, even more so than the leaps. I feel like the novels did do a, a better job with the st- well because they went into it at all because really we we barely ever saw people at the project but i like it just feels like they set up all of these important people in sam's life and women in sam's life that you just don't they take away a lot of their agency or a lot of their character or their lines or you know it it just doesn't do them a lot of justice is it regretful that we never got to see sammy joe as an adult I don't think Sammy Joe should have happened. <laughs> I, but she but did. I think if you're going to have her happen, like you need to establish more about her and why we should care. Right, right. And hmm. maybe you're right. In season six, they, they likely would have tried something like that. Maybe just to rejuvenate the fan base or bring in a new fan base or whatever. Hmm. Well, also, like this doesn't give us a lot of good stuff with Sam finding out that he has a daughter. The way that Al mentions it to her is so... Just, oh, by the way, this is your daughter. (laughs) Sam has no time to process this because they have to, like, cram so much stuff in. And so, like, you have moments, which I think were, like, great character moments, you know, when Sam's saying goodbye to her or when he's, like, talking about how much he loves her um, and stuff like that. Like, you can can feel this heartbreak that he's never going to be part of his daughter's life. But there's just no time for any of it. So it doesn't feel like it's that important in the grand scheme of things, especially because it doesn't affect anything else. Yeah. It's never mentioned again. It's it's just something that's in the, the novels. And obviously they were thinking about doing a spinoff or continuation or cartoon or whatever. <laughs> yeah. But that was my big takeaway too. This sure seems shoehorned in and completely glossed over. There's not really a lot of exploration on Sam's part about who she is. How does Al feel about any of this? He's just there to say the info and leave. Yeah, info dump Al in this episode and confuse things in the courtroom. I don't know about you guys, but I found his presence in the courtroom to be more of a distraction than a help. It was just like, what, why are you talking? Why are you? They can't hear you and you're interrupting <laughs> Sam and he's not repeating anything that you're saying. He's there just because he has to do the reveal at the end. He has no <laughs> other reason. Exactly. He's literally adding some color to the scene. Yeah, that's true. You know what? (laughs) I I question all these legal proceedings, too. Sammy Jo didn't take the stand at the end. She just runs over going like, like, What? You didn't take the stand, buddy? (laughs) I, you know what? I don't want to dunk on a kid, but Kimberly Cullen was asked to carry too much in this trilogy. God love her. She did her best. But every scene she was in just seemed like... I'm acting just it was just forced kid acting. <laughs> mm. I don't think so, but I, I'm wondering if my reception of Sammy Joe would have been a little bit better if the child actress portraying her did a better job. 
honestly, I think she was one of their best child actors. I think she did a great job. I just think there were there were bad implications about Sammy Joe as a character, but I think her playing both Abigail and Sammy Joe, although essentially the, the same, I don't think there's much differentiation between her as either little girl. But no, no. I think the fact that she had to carry so much of this, like... We've seen some child actors of, of questionable acting on this show. I don't think she did a bad job at all. Let's face it. It's nice to see a child actor on the show whose surname isn't Belisario. Just saying. <laughs> I was just thinking about, like, what about the bullet? The, bullet. the angel? <laughs> what about any of that? Like, we've seen child actors that yeah. are great, but... I mean, say what you will, Troy and Belisario was adorable, and she was great in Another Mother. She was, she was, she was terrific. Okay, Troy and Belisario, with all due respect, <laughs> she was too young at that moment to be able to act. She, you could see her looking at, like, for her mom or at cue cards or just saying lines because they fed them to her. But she was adorable. She was <laughs> She sweet. was adorable. I don't think the acting was very good, but she was adorable. <laughs> and she, obviously she's had a lot of success now, so she's fine, but I, I think yeah, she yeah. was just a little too young at that moment. <laughs> she doesn't need us. She's doing just fine. Yeah. She's she's fine. Um, She's a perfectly good actor now. <laughs> but back then, no. Kimberly Callum, I don't think she's acting anymore, Kimberly Callum. What was the last thing she did? Um... Nothing sacred in 1998. Yeah, she probably. This I feel like this happens with a lot of child actors. They kind of they go to school and they decide acting's not for them. Or she was young Samantha Bloom in uh, VR Five. How did I forget that? Oh yeah, heck yeah! She was also in a Star Trek Next Generation episode, the uh, Amnesia Data episode. Yeah. For the longest time, I thought that she and Scarlett Palmer's were the same actress. I thought she was Naomi Wildman, so. But oh yeah, shows you where I am. Yeah. Quite a few similar-looking uh, Star Trek actresses. Man, I need to watch VR Five again. But yeah, respectfully disagree on that point. But there are like some some big moments. Uh, you know, I remember, <laughs> but that's just how that's written. Yeah, that's just how that's written. No! <laughs> yeah, uh, just... What a twist with Lita Ader! What a dark twist. Yeah, I mean, so they did go into some dark places at the end of this, and um, just having her slit her own throat, how does that not fuck Abigail up for the, I'm sorry, Sammy Joe up for the rest of her life, witnessing somebody slash their own throat? Oh yeah, she had, she, she had to have major issues. And she was already, like, showing signs of trauma in this episode, like, rightfully so. Like, when Marie asks her to go into the kitchen and she starts freaking out, like, she's she's got some major stuff to work through. So there's my darkness. That's what I was looking for. I just wanted her to be the murderer after all. <laughs> I just thought that would, that would have done something to make this story interesting. I did want to talk about Meg Foster real quick. Yeah, what, what about Meg? I mean, yeah, we forgot completely to, to talk about Laura's arc in all of this. She's a huge part of this story. Like, um, the fact that she, she knew what happened and then they get her to take the stand, um, that she has the locket the whole time, that the... Um, being at the asylum, that was uh, self-imposed. Yep. I'm, I'm wondering, in the scene, she appears to only recognize Sam, in the scene in the hospital, as Sam after a short time. Because then she says, oh, you've come back. Because she said that in the second one, right? She said, oh, you're back. And she kind of reached out to where Al was, like Im implying that she could even see Al. And in this one, it seemed like she was talking to him as, as Larry, and then she realized it was Sam. Well, when she says in this episode, like, 
you're back. It's because she remembers him from the second one being there. Like, and uh, I don't think in the first one when she reaches out toward Hal, she says anything, right? She's no, no, she says catatonic. nothing. She just, yeah, she's catatonic. Yeah, I think she just recognized them each time. But and she said, you left and you broke Abigail's heart. I remember you. You were here. A very long time ago. You were going to marry my Abigail, but you didn't. You went away. Or you broke her heart, you know. I think you've mistaken me for someone else. No. I've been waiting for you for a very long time. I guess she thought Sam was going to marry her. I guess she understood that Sam was in love with her. Or that she wasn't, that Abigail was in love with Sam. He did have the even heroes are human speech. He did talk about <laughs> Abigail a lot. She probably was listening in on that. Like, wow, you really feel something. <laughs> How could she not? He was, he was right in the middle of her bedroom declaring horny. Yeah. She heard the whole speech. <laughs> and then she heard Al going like, oh, you're a hero. She's, she knows the story. She knows exactly. He leaped in. He's a time traveler. He's going to help her out, help out her daughter. She knows what's going on. They had the reveal of her burns and everything in this, which shows you that when Sam saw her in that fire, that she's the one who said it. Nobody even called back to the fact that you're the one that started the fire. You were there. So I'm, I'm, I'm trying to unravel why she's there and why she set the house on fire. I understand she was there to protect Abigail. No, she didn't set the house on fire. She, she was did. just there when it happened. No, because Lita, Lita said, I didn't set that fire. That's yeah, but we saw second. Lita set the fire. No, we, we saw didn't. her all drop we the saw, lantern. All we saw was the lantern being shattered against the wall. We never saw who threw it. Yeah, but she was the one carrying the lantern. We saw her light it, and like I didn't get that implication at all. Me neither. I'm thinking that Laura set that fire. That's the way I read mm. that entire thing, because you never saw who threw it. Lita denied that she ever did. If she set that fire, then that that puts so much more guilt on her that they never get into. Right, exactly. You are looking for darkness in this, I'm not, you? because she's standing in the middle of the flames right before Sam leaps out. She, she was there. I'm going to look at this episode again to see who drops the... I bet they show who dropped it. They don't. That or they just like did it in, in, in second unit. Um, and they didn't have the actress there, but I don't think that was the implication at all. All you hear is Sammy, Sammy Joe's in the closet and you hear them arguing out. She's uh, you, what are you doing here? And then they cut to the wall and the lantern gets thrown against the wall. And then Sam rushes in to save, to save Abigail. It's, I said Sammy Joe, but it was Abigail in, in the bureau, in, in, in the wardrobe. So. Right. I'm looking at the episode now. I'm going to see if I can... I'm telling you, Laura started the fire. No, no, get away! I'll kill you all! She says, okay, Lita goes, I'll kill you all! And then we see a a lantern (laughs) in the room that she's in land next to the wardrobe and the curtains. That is absolutely implying that it is Lita doing it. I'll kill you all. And then she's (laughs) holding a lantern. If they were trying to imply... That it was uh, Meg Foster who did it. They did a, a very bad job. <laughs> That's the way I've always read these episodes. She's the one that started the fire. Maybe she means like, I'll kill you all with cuddles. And she's about to <laughs> run up and give them all a nice cuddle. And then that Meg Foster comes in with her lamp and starts a fire. I choose to see it that Laura started the fire. Allison, you choose to, based on very good, you know, compelling evidence that Lita started the fire. Because I think if Sam is in the room 
And then they go, like, I think they added that in post, too. Like, because we never see Lita. We see uh, Sam in the house uh, and then cut to, like, Abigail in the closet. And then, no, get away. I'll kill you all. It feels like they added that line because they're like, this is not clear. Like, it makes it seem like someone else did it. Gotcha. So you're thinking they're doing that to cement the fact that she started the fire. Yeah, I think they added that because otherwise it seems like what's the the mystery who did it? And I don't think they meant for there to be any mystery there. Hmm. Well, it's just intriguing then 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 Lita's a liar because Well she is, yeah. <laughs> she says to Sam, I didn't start that fire and I always took her at face value with that because in my mind it was always Laura. So interesting. Interesting way to look at these things. I mean, if you if you look at it that Laura did it. And that Clayton covered up this whole thing, it makes it all more sinister, doesn't it, you know? Who's really the guilty party? Mm. If she set that fire and Clayton helped cover up the stuff with Violet, like, it, it makes it way less black and white about what actually happened. Hmm. What, what is, okay, if Laura did set the fire, what's her motive? Did she want Clayton to die because he was the only one that knew the truth and there, therefore it would die with him? I think if she set the fire, and I don't think that that was the implication, if there was supposed to be a motive there, it would be like she was trying to get Lita, like she was trying to protect her daughter, and she was like not quite mentally there, you know? Right. Yeah, yeah, and that's the way I always took it. But at the same time, Clayton died as a result, and unintended consequence or lucky strike extra. Funny. I don't know. Uh, yeah, I don't think that wouldn't really make a lot of sense. No, I'm just, I'm, I'm spinning <laughs> my wheels here. I'm just. <laughs> yeah. I'm loving this. This is a whole, this is a conspiracy that, that ha, it, has, it holds no weight. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Listen, I, sometimes I go down these mental roads and I can't tell where they're going to lead. You got to write a novel based on this. Like who, yeah, no, what thanks. really happened. <laughs> yeah. I'll let somebody else do that. <laughs> Oh, boy. I wanted to note, too, this is my last note that I have, so that's the only reason I'm bringing it up. It has nothing to do with anything. The um the judge is the, the doctor from eight and a half months. Uh, oh, yeah. Yeah. Same guy. Yeah. Uh-huh. I see a head of curls crowned a little lady. <laughs> <laughs> it all connects. What if he's the same guy? He became a judge later, and then that's why Laura set the fire. <laughs> it's, it's all it's something. Well, the fact that I have to go on this speculative journey mentally to figure out, is Laura doing this? What is this motive for that? I mean, it just, I think, points out the fact that there was so much lacking in Trilogy. And if you guys don't mind, I'm going to start getting into my final thoughts here. There's just something fundamentally lacking from this story. It just, the story wasn't big enough to carry three episodes. I know that we dunk and we've all been dreading doing trilogy and rewatching it and everything. But I, I have to say, I love the concept. I love the meta idea. I like the ambition that it represents and the fact that they were trying to do different things in season five. I just think that when all is said and done, this was a complete misfire on, on just about every story level for me, up to and including the addition of Sammy Joe to canon. So how about you guys? Um, yeah, I pretty much agree with everything that you said there. Um, I really do love, uh, the concept and that they were, um, trying lots of different things in season five. It really did need to like change up. And I feel like there's a lot of stuff I enjoy about it. There's a lot of ickiness that makes it hard for me to 
fully embrace because I think like it's it's mean spirited in some sense. Um, a lot of things that they do when they add stuff to Sam's lore, I feel is a little bit mean spirited. And I think this one also was. I, I think Sammy Joe shouldn't have happened. Not like that anyway. And Matt, I never thought of the the mean spirited elements that Allison you pointed out, and I I need some time to process that and to unpack that, and I I might uh, be a bit more down on this episode once. I've fully thought that through. For now, I, I've got to say, I think it's an okay episode. Given everything that they were trying to achieve with this and make this something really special and a tentpole for the season, this should have been so good. And the fact that it's... I, I think it's okay. Um, it's got some really good performances. Uh, it, it looks great. But it just the the story doesn't grab me. That I find a disappointment. It's such a wasted opportunity when it should have been something so much more. I'm quite happy with the fact that Sammy Joe gets introduced to the law, but on reflection, it's one of those dead ends that um yeah, could have been so much more if it had been explored more in the series later before it got handed over to fans to to own through the novels and, and through fan fiction over the years. So um, real mixed feelings on this one, honestly. I, I, I think I preferred it more than, than you two did, but um, certainly not a favourite and uh, definitely could have been could have been stronger. Sometimes I feel like um, I just, I, like, I'm too attached to it. Like, I'm like, maybe there's something, you know, like, maybe I got some sort of bias because, like, I don't like the, like, kid of main character stories and stuff like that. But um, it is kind of noteworthy. I asked on Twitter when we started rewatching Trilogy for the podcast, um, I was like, hey, what are people's thoughts on this? I didn't put any of my own thoughts. I was just like, what do you think of Trilogy? (laughs) And the responses were all, yuck. (laughs) (laughs) It kind of see. I don't know if this is universal, but I think like a lot of people do feel similarly. It's just there's something kind of seedy or nefarious about it i don't know if that's the right words just it just feels like it it didn't need to be this way yeah yeah and i mean i think it also speaks volumes i mean you allison you're saying is it bad because i'm bringing my own baggage to it do i see flaws in it that others don't but getting that independent cooperation is probably vindicating to some extent and i can tell you right now it's not your problem it's a problem of the show. I have never had an experience watching Quantum Leap until Trilogy where I was just slogging through it, waiting for it to be over. No. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, I think unless you guys have any other observations, I think that pretty much closes the book on Trilogy. Um, I'd like to observe that it's my birthday. Oh, happy hey, birthday. Trilogy Allison. birthday. <laughs> trilogy birthday. The best gift you can get, dunking on Trilogy with your buds. <laughs> this I love that I'm dating it now, so anyone who knows my birthday, by the time this actually comes, like, who knows when this will come out? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Well, it is Allison's birthday, so everybody send some birthday wishes to Allison. She'll get them a month late, but uh, she'll be very happy to receive them. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> well, Allison, as it turns out, I actually have kind of a birthday present for you. <gasps> Ooh. <laughs> happy birthday. <laughs> I didn't get her anything. Don't make me look bad. We have a new patron on Patreon. Welcome aboard to Captain FX. So, woo, Captain FX. Yay! Yay! 
Captain FX joins us at the $5 Leaper level. That means that she has access to all of our bonus content that include shows like Leaps Elsewhere and Fangent. You heard the Christmas Fangent a few weeks ago. I know we've been plugging the Patreon feed a lot. It's nice that people are heeding our call and going and checking out our stuff. Like I've been saying, for just $5 a month, you too can have access to all this great bonus stuff that we're always working on. So I think recently we just did another Leaps Elsewhere that features both Scott and Dean. Did we not? Yeah. Yeah. That's coming down the pike. And uh, we have more episodes of Fangent also at the ready. So if anybody would like to go check out our Patreon feed, it's patreon.com slash quantum leap podcast. Once there, you can figure out what level works for you. You can contribute as much as a dollar but we also have tiers that will give you certain rewards at each level so go check it out patreon.com slash quantum leap podcast but you do not need to be a patron to comment on the quantum leap podcast in fact there are many ways that you can reach us here at the quantum leap podcast you can get us by phone at 707-847-6682. You can email us at quantumleappodcast at gmail.com. You can find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash quantumleappodcast. You can also follow us on Twitter and Instagram at quantumleappod. And you can also go that extra mile like Captain FX and support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash quantumleappodcast. Just remember that we may use your response on an upcoming episode of the Quantum Leap Podcast. And speaking of upcoming episodes, Matt, tell us what's next. Well, Chris, it's funny, uh, just before the feedback, you were mentioning about how much uh, you had to slog through three episodes of Trilogy because the slogging was worth it. We have now reached the promised land. Everyone stay calm. We'll get this over with and be on our way. Keep me covered while I shut the blinds. Don't fall apart on me now, little brother. Oh, boy. How perfectly apt is that title after three episodes of Trilogy? <laughs> oh my god, we're getting to the, the Christmas episode yeah. around Christmas. I know! Look at that, what perfect timing. It's perfect timing. We'll, we'll, we'll be discussing it on, we'll be recording it at Christmas time. I'm sure it'll, we'll be releasing the episode in January. So yeah. We'll be releasing it when people are like, Christmas, I am over it. <laughs> so everybody, when you're listening to, uh, <laughs> we're giving you fair warning, when you're <laughs> listening to Promised Land sometime in January, maybe even early February, who knows with the way I edit, uh, we're going to be all in Christmas uh, festive mode because I have a feeling we're going to be recording the show right around Christmas. It's going to be the only show before Christmas anyway, right? Yeah. I guess this is why people uh, make Christmas movies in July, right? So you don't <laughs> see them released on time? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah at, at our current rate, we'll be recording that within a week of Christmas. Yeah, exactly. Oh my wow. gosh. I need to shop. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Entirely irrelevant. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. I remember Promised Land fondly. I think I've only seen it like once or twice, but um, I really do like it. So I'm, I'm getting... Um, excited to revisit that one and sort of reacquaint myself with it so i'm looking forward to it and until then uh i've been christopher d philippus i've been allison pregler and i've been matt dale 
and we'll see you next time. <laughs> Thank you for joining us for this episode of the Quantum Leap podcast, hosted by Allison, Matt, and Chris, with voice talent and contributions from Hayden McQueenie and Zoe Dean. Visit us at quantumleappodcast.com. To support the show, please go to patreon.com slash quantumleappodcast. The executive producer of the Quantum Leap podcast is Albert Burge. Christopher DeFilippis and Hayden McQueenie are the co-executive producers. Morgan Felden and Charles Allen Gossard are the producers. The thoughts expressed on this podcast are those of the individual and do not necessarily represent those of the Quantum Leap podcast, its partners or affiliates. The Quantum Leap universe and all it contains is the property of Belisarius Productions and Universal Television. The Quantum Leap podcast is not affiliated with Belisarius Productions or Universal Television, and no copyright infringement is intended. Please visit barrenspace.com for this and other amazing content. The Quantum Leap podcast is a Baron Space production. I've got to warn you, my um, my son is really struggling to get to sleep at the moment, so I I'm just I've got the door closed and I'm a little bit lower key than yeah, normal. That's fine. Do like a tap just so that I can see it and line it up. It's not a big deal. Just as long as oh, it's not that. It's it's more the talking because I know I tend to get quite enthusiastic. I might not be as enthusiastic as ah, you would expect about Trilogy 3. What if we did this like ASMR style? Like we just talked like this the whole time. Because like, then, then I'll go talking. to sleep. I don't know about Zach. <laughs> just play this for Zach. We'll be like, Zach. There was an episode of the show Quantum Leap. You'll you'll get into Quantum Leap. There's a show called Quantum Leap, and there's an episode called Trilogy Part Three. It's the third in a trilogy, <laughs> and it was there to do nothing except create a character for a spin-off that never happened. <laughs> Zach, do you like courtroom dramas? <laughs> there are many ways that you can reach us here at the Quantum Leap Podcast. Uh. I do this every fucking time. Guess what I can't find? Something about quantumleappodcast at gmail.com. Yeah. <laughs> Instagram slash quantumleap. Just I yell it out into the universe. We'll hear it. <laughs> God damn it. It's confusing for me when you read out all those contact details because the phone number doesn't start with 555. It, the phone number has to start with 555. <laughs> all phone numbers in America start with 555 if you're not American. It should be Klondike 5 if you're from the 40s. <laughs> <laughs>